Hey Tim, how's it going? Hey, it is. Uh, it's going great, man. I got uh, I got up early this morning. I'm looking outside. There's a blanket of snow. Gonna, you oh, know, nice. I, sho- I I shoveled yesterday morning. I woke up. I'm like, I'm feeling like a good guy, right? I shoveled <laughs> snow, shoveled in my neighbor's sidewalk, and um, and then like at work, I noticed it started snowing again, and it snowed overnight. It's like it's an, it's the never ending battle has begun. What's guess, the guy who pushes the stone up the hill and it uh, just rolls? Sisyphus. Yeah, Sisyphus. It's a Sisyphean task here, trying to keep up with the snow. I don't know yeah. if it's worthwhile or not. I got to find some way for it to be spark joy in me, I guess. But maybe you got to buy a new Honda car so you get a free snowblower. Yeah, you know what is great to do when you're you're shoveling snow, folks. It's listening to the Hard on Liberty podcast. <laughs> Download it now. Yeah. Um, so today we wanted to talk about rites of passage, and in particular, I suppose uh, you know what would be stereotypically masculine esque rites of passage. Um, Mm. I'm interested in hearing about the ones you had, because this came up about the fire department and how there were certain rites of passage that really made people more prepared for being, uh, you know, in those situations, in your opinion. And so I'm interested in starting there and then also touching on, you know, I basically was in, I wasn't in a literal frat, but I was in something akin to a frat. And so there were like hazing rituals and these rites of like I went through numerous rites of passages. And actually, right. it's interesting that in many of mine, I was mad that they weren't harsher on me because <laughs> I heard of all of these great things about being hazed. And I was a little, you know, not well in the head, maybe, but I was like, do it more. But um, so I want to start by talking about what it is like, what some of them are in the fire department and also why you find them valuable in an actual sense. Because, you know, talking about the type of stuff in, in, in a frat is a bit different. But I mm-hmm. still think there is some some similarities and some stuff of value in it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is uh, in the fire service. The, there's pr- probably a few rites of passage. But really, the, the main one um, would be just the first year on the floor as a rookie. Right. So you, you come onto the floor and... <clears throat> it's it's an informal rite of passage you know and and maybe it would be well it's formal and informal i mean that there are formal things you have to do within the organization to establish that you're competent in all the skills uh, and what what would be expected of a firefighter mm-hmm. but it's the informal stuff that i found i find more interesting it's the social stuff right so um there, there's a lot of kind of mild hazing that like you as the junior guy, you're doing all the dirty work, cleaning the toilets. You're the first one out checking trucks uh, like you have to, you know, if someone says jump, you have to say how high it's all. And and it and sometimes guys will purposely push you. Right. They'll test you and mm. they they'll they'll do something that's like mildly humiliating or something to you or embarrassing or um you know, uh, you know, the, the, you know, I, I know like practical jokes, for example, uh, there, there's, <laughs> you know, there, there's a ton of them. Like, uh, there's this saw we use a rescue saw called the K 12. It's a big circular saw, uh, that will cut through masonry and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's got a little gas engine on it. You pull start it, but we, we, tell a lot of the probies and I'm giving away some of my secrets here, but, uh, we tell probies sometimes that you can actually push start it. You know how you can push start a motorbike or a car that's uh, yeah. a, a manual transmission or whatever. You, you get it 
start pushing it and then you can fire it up that way. Uh, well, we tell them you can do it with that saw. And then we videotape these guys running out on the tarmac, trying to start this, these things up and thinking that, you know, and so jokes like that, or, or we'll tell them, you know, go up into the hose tower, you're on fire watch tonight. Right. And we'll tell them that, that it's just a duty we have at the fire station. You have to go up there and watch the town for fires. Let us know if there's any fires kind of like, so they sit up this hose at the top of this hose tower all night and yeah. <laughs> watch for fires and uh you know and so the the average person i'd say in today's society at least is like well this is just mean you're bullying him right yeah. and and you're only doing that because you were bullied so it's like an abusive parent who just perpetuates the cycle so yeah. what do you say to like that mentality is growing uh you know pretty much across the board for sure. And I, I might've agreed with that at one time, actually, you know, I, I, you know, there, there is a point where you can push it too far, right. Where it becomes disrespectful or, you know, it's not done in with the good nature. It's done kind of, uh, there's some, some guys that are a little bit like sadistic or something like that, or they, they get a kick out of the pain, right. It's not, but <clears throat> You know, what I notice is as HR policy has shifted to you can't do any of that stuff anymore because it, it's harassment, it's abuse or, or whatever, right? It's not uh, a safe space. We need to a safe space for new employees and they need to feel welcomed and all this stuff. It's really robbed guys of an opportunity to go through a little bit of adversity. It's And it's, it's taken away uh, a mechanism for uh, for group adhesion for social adhesion yeah. and unity in the group because it really is a trust building episode uh, trust building exercise especially in the fire department if you put these guys under a little bit of stress in the fire hall um whatever that stress is and and you're watching for cues as to how they hand it handle it are they good natured? do they smile do they let it roll off their back or even better yet do they give back a little bit like just enough sass to, or do they have a little bit of a backbone? Um, mm -hmm. I mean that, that, that is, those are the cues we're looking for or on, on the bad side, do they crumble under it? Do they go away in a corner? Do they pout to all shift? Do they, uh, complain to an officer or, or something like that about how they're being mistreated or, you know, those, those are things we're, we're looking for because if they're showing signs of cracking under a little bit of pressure, you know, when it, when it's high stakes, uh, and it's literally life and death. Uh, how do we know they're not going to crack then? Right. And so we trust guys implicitly more that are able to withstand a little bit of stress, uh, from hazing and, and, you know, whatever is going on than we do. And so, you know, the first year is all about testing that guy. It's formal tests, like, but it's also, uh, kind of psychological or social testing. And, and that first year is a rite of passage. Um, to know that we can. And then the other thing that happens too is um, if a guy's kind of cracking or is not handling the, the hazing very well, usually a, a senior guy or even an officer will take him aside and say, Hey, listen, this is what's going on. These guys are, are, are testing you, right? Like the, you have an opportunity here, like to show up, right. And they're not doing it it's not a personal thing. They're, they're, this isn't directed at you. This happens to every new rookie. And here's how I dealt with it when I was a rookie. And here's how most guys who are successful deal with this stuff. And, and so this is what, so they get some mentorship in 
being more resilient and able to deal with stress. And most guys rise to the occasion. And when they get it, they're like, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I'm, you know, I'm being a little bitch or whatever. And I can, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so by the time you get to that end of that year, the end of the year, it's like, well, for example, at the fire station I work at now, the first year on the fire department, you're not allowed to sit on the leathers. The leathers are the like the reclining chairs in the living room where the guys, you know, yeah. on their downtime are watching TV and and just talking shop or whatever. Right. Um, you, you're on the outside of that after the first year. You're welcomed in. Here you go. Have a seat. You're now one of the the pack, and you are you share equally in all the duties, and you're like, you're trusted, right? Um, and and that's a big deal. Like it feels like you've accomplished something. Like you have gone through the gauntlet. You've done your duty. You've you've faced all the adversity of that first year, and now you're part of the pack, and it feels great. And and that that is the rite of passage. There's there's two main things that jump out at me that are, again, what I would say, common objections, right? Um, one is that, well, there's this idea that you shouldn't have to go through a rite of passage. Like, you, like he's a fireman now, let him be a fireman. Why, are, why is there more tests and who decides these arbitrary tests? Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, you've talked about why there's value in it, but still people, I think, would hold otherwise. And what's really... Uh, what really parallels, uh, you know, my experiences is this idea that people have also that, well, but, you know, the type of stuff you do is that's your culture, right? That's the sure. fireman culture, which will skew towards, you know, straight white male culture. And what if these people just are outright uncomfortable? And so by having certain things in place, you know, you're there are people who will struggle more with it or who will just be outright uncomfortable. So, you know, how is it fair to, to do these sorts of things? Um, and I mean, you can tell me if your experience is different, but like we were very active when I was involved in this frat um, at trying to change the culture and open it up. And we found that it just was filled with a void, right? right. It completely destroyed any sense of community. Like, yeah. Having it open to everyone made nothing unite people, right? Um, yep. And so it's not as if there is some, you know, just general well-being. It, like, collapsed the, the culture completely. Right. Uh, you know, because, you know, part of the, you, you don't want to belong to a group that is easy to, that anybody can be a part of, right? There's, it's not attractive, Right. It, it's like I, I want something that's difficult to do, difficult to get into. And and I like if and then there, the other flip side of that is, you know, the sense of entitlement that people have to doing jobs is is terrible. Right. I mean, it's mm. like I'm entitled. Uh, yeah. It, it, it I'm trying to trying to find the words here, but. Well, on the first note, like saying that. People do want to achieve things, despite how much we're being told that people should just be given things. At their right. core, people want to achieve things. So if they see, oh, like, yeah, they will feel better having earned the right to sit on the leather than just everyone sits on the leather all the time. And like, even though a year down the road, everyone does, it is literally, it feels different to be able to accomplish things. But that whole sense of accomplishment is being uh degraded I, yeah. I feel largely 
Yeah, and it, it you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's not just that. Like, the, the whole workplace, you know, in the fire service has become uh, a safe space, right? It's like e even, you know, we, we do do calls that we're, we, we see human tragedy on a regular basis. And, you know, I signed up for that. I signed up to go into unsafe spaces and to, to bring order to chaos. And, to, and that feels good, right? Being able to go into places that an average person can't go into and do something about it, um, it feels great. I, I want that. I don't want this to be such an easy job where we never take any risks or do like, you know, and, and so what happens is, you know, the first few years, it was all high fives after serious calls. There was human tragedy on those calls and we weren't high fiving that we saw human tragedy. We were high fiving that we dealt with the adversity and chaos competently and brought order back to that, that situation. And, and that's what we felt good about. And after, you know, all this mental health stuff and, um, you know, safe spaces stuff started entering the workforce we couldn't high five anymore we couldn't feel good about our calls anymore because to do that to to feel some joy or some some positive emotions around what we just did might trigger someone who was who is feeling negatively about that call right so mm -hmm. and and then of course they prime us to feel negatively about the call as well because that's the appropriate response. So here we we've taken this place where we're dealing, going into unsafe spaces, dealing with adversity, confronting it, and competently managing it was celebrated to a place where we we can't celebrate it, and where in fact that adversity is looked at as a toxin. Our job is is looked at as a uh, it's portrayed to us as all the calls we go on are mental health challenges they they are and and that we need all this help and support now you want to talk and now it mental illness has never been more less stigmatized in emergency services support and encouragement to talk and all that kind of stuff has never been more abundant resources have never been more abundant um our calls haven't changed that much. If anything, they've gotten less acute, like, you know, fire safety codes and, and vehicle, uh, safety features have, have reduced the human tragedy that we see on a regular basis. Yet our mental illness is on the rise and suicides are on the rise. And that, that has everything to do with, and I, you know, all these articles I see talking about, um, you know, why male suicide is so high is because they're discouraged from talking. It's because they don't have a safe space. I, I've seen those words in men's health, in articles by Global and talking about how men need more uh, nurturing, right? It's like we need to feminize the space more so that these men aren't killing themselves. It's because of their manhood that they're killing themselves, like because of their stoicism and their all, all this stuff. No, no. It's because you're taking that stuff away from us. It's because of articles like that, that we're killing ourselves. It's because you're taking away all the meaning of being a man. What that the purpose of being a man is to get it, go, go into the unknown and, and explore it and, and, it, you know, take some risks and all these things and all, anything that, all that good stuff is being taken away. So it, we're no longer free to be men. That's why we're killing ourselves. Um, it's because the world is becoming too safe for us, if anything.
And so I think some people might think it's quite a leap to, you know, talk about these two topics in one, you know, in, in one breath. But I think it is, it's about the fundamental nature of what's going on with respect to, in particular, you know, more masculine things and and this this idea of adversity and facing it and accomplish it and like achieving it um and saying no 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 you don't have to do that if you feel like it's tough you don't have to do that and it's it's this idea of any adversity that you just feel in the moment you is too much well then don't worry about it and so it's like, like people don't grow either people don't like if you're not growing as a human you're degrading as a human right and so to say that you know it's it's by a committee and and it, it's the culture itself the employees your coworkers can't decide you know the dynamic amongst themselves it, it is also a problem and it's like how do we protect people just generally but i want to extend that i don't think it's only for men either right like so in in our situation there was there were women as well and you could see that they felt that the ones who could keep up felt strong and proud and could carry themselves better too um, yeah. across the board it is a positive thing to be able to go through and i think it's yeah it i i'm interested if you think like what aspect started to leak in first was it the the you know the approach to your profession generally was it the oh you can't you know you can't haze uh people what where did it start to encroach first because it's pretty widespread now like it's pretty evident it it impacts all aspects um right yeah well it it was you know the the first time i i try to talk about it maybe the best way to describe it is victim culture or mm -hmm. this uh you know oppressors this oppression culture right uh of feeling oppressed right it started for me at least i started noticing it with mental health stuff and you know so early in my career this idea of critical incident stress started entering our you know vernacular in first response and they would m mandate us to go to these critical incident stress debriefings because they noticed that people would sometimes suffer uh, and have negative reactions and be triggered by like human tragedy and of course yeah that that's obviously mm -hmm the case right and so these critical incident stress but things were uh they encourage you to talk like it, it just seemed very innocent and helpful and stuff but you know the, the first clue for me should have been i felt great after a, a serious call and i wanted high fives i wanted to clank beer steins with my with my teammates and talk about how we handled the situation and instead we're being ushered into this room and i'm looking at this it felt like a funeral right mm. it, it, and yeah i guess we should be thinking about human tragedy like my my mindset is all wrong here i'm 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 an asshole kind of for thinking this way like yeah like did there and then i started thinking of the faces of the the dead people i saw and i was like yeah the, the, they had families and like this is a terrible thing and you know we waited we we're witness to that this isn't normal like i i shouldn't be feeling good about you know, and so by the time it got around to me, I, I had worked up all this negative emotion and it was authentic because I had shifted my frame very quickly because I noticed I had the wrong frame. Mm -hmm. But that was the, you know, victim mentality frame where I'm supposed to be feeling like a victim. Um, and, and that's where I first noticed it. And but, you know, it wasn't shortly 
it was shortly after that that uh, you know it was shifts in HR policy. Um, it was um, more uh, more programs designed to get women into emergency services, and then it was very. Um, you know, the culture certainly shifted um, because it, it there was that feminine vibe brought in. And there's some good aspects to that. But it, it certainly, um, you know, the, the way we were able to carry on and be offensive to each other and like tell uh, crass, have crass humor or what we call black humor, where we talk about like, you know, we. Yeah. We, we, you know, we talk about the crispy critter we just saw, right? This guy burned yeah. to death, right? Well, it's, you, 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 you can't talk about that stuff publicly or around people that are easily triggered, but it's our way of, of coping or like right. having some but mental resilience around that, what we just yeah. saw, which was horrible. There's this and, approach that like, that is your psychological flaw. It's just because right. you can't actually handle the emotion of seeing it. And then there's also this view that no one like it's happened in, a, in in my experience as well with like women being more prominent for coming in, but then saying, well, the, anything that men do is just wrong because it might make right. these women a bit uncomfortable. And so it's the men have to adapt to the way of the women. The women don't there's no v potential value in women joining in on the type of mentality men could have. It's just like that's not that's not possible. Right. Right. And, and, you know, yeah, you're right. And it's like this, this shift to, we have to empathize with the victims, right? We have to like have this radical empathy, uh, and feel bad rather than, uh, a, what I would call like clinical detachment or something. Right. right. And, and, and the thing and, is like, you kind of want clinical detachment. Like you don't want your surgeon flinching right, exactly. when they start to cut you with a scalpel. Um, we, or someone we, who works in the emergency room of a hospital, they're going to just be right. crying in a corner the whole day. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the most difficult calls to deal with are children, right? Because it's, mm. and the reason is because it's difficult to have clinical detachment because you're so hardwired to feel empathy for that little helpless being that mm. you can't clinically detach and you, you know, it's more difficult to do your job. You start to panic more, you get flustered. And, and so you really have to develop that clinical detachment and that ability to, um, to remain calm under pressure because it's super important, uh, to have, and it may seem cold or cavalier or something like that, but that's re what's required for those kinds of things. It, you know, and it's very similar. If you look at Jonathan Hyde's work, he's a, a moral psychologist. He's done a bunch of work on political personalities. Libertarian personalities are described as very masculine. Uh, they, they are very high in systematizing or cognition and very low on empathetic thinking and otherwise words their thinking is an emotion driven it's um it's system driven right so we look mm -hmm. at the system think through the problem logically and stoically we're not driven by our baser um emotions that's how our personality tends to be and that's kind of the personality you want or, or the the psychological profile you know in paul bloom's book uh, on empathy he talks about how bad empathy is when you're dealing with um in, with politics for example right you you want someone who's a systems thinker who takes emotions out of it and is not constantly 
because empathy leads to bad consequences. And I would argue it's the same here in emergency services. You want someone to have that kind of system thinking. It's a problem to be solved and worked out, um, not something to panic about and to get all emotional about. Right. And, and there, you can cultivate that, you can cultivate that clinical detachment and there all the, but all the tools that we use to cultivate that are being taken away from us. It's something actually really interesting came into my mind on this regard. And it's almost as if the rites of passage and the culture is a self-selection, right? It's the free market of who succeeds, who thrives in this profession, because we all thrive, like, you know, you and the other firemen all thrive and all do a good job. And this is the type of personality and environment that you all enjoy. And if they don't happen to fit into it and they can't handle it, like you said, the, you know, the one year of light hazing and stuff, then how are they going to handle the more complex things? And it's so it's actually basically a free market of individuals, right? Like this, is, it's but yeah. and then there's this idea that oh no but you guys can't do that we have to say everyone can perform anyone who wants to be a fireman can be a fireman just as well which is just not the case and i think right. another important factor is what you touched on at the start is the cohesion right and it's we all have values we feel comfortable with each other and the young people as well the the people coming in know that this is all in good fun and they have to have a mindset of a benevolent universe. These people aren't evil and tormenting me for their own sadistic pleasure. This is like this. It's like brother love, right? Uh, like right. you can you can uh, haze your buddies and it's just something that, you know, makes you closer ultimately. And so, yep. I mean, that's just it's very interesting, but it's all of that's just completely attacked, right? It's, it's well unexpected. That's just it. And it's like, okay, so we, we self-select, you could say, for this job based on our personality and what we're drawn to. Um, but then, you know, what? <laughs> just like you can cultivate that and develop that, that kind of mindset that is really good at firefighting, uh, you can also cultivate uh, the other direction too, which is what's mm -hmm. actively happening, which is we're victims. We need to feel more entitled. We need to, uh, you know... Uh, to be more emotional and talk more and like share more and like do, you know, and, and, and that is, you know, in giving us a fragile mindset. So it, yeah. that's actually creating mental health challenges. Like when you, when you combine that mindset with human tragedy, which we're exposed to regularly. Yeah, of course, mental health is going to be a huge issue. Of course, suicides are going to rise. Uh, but yet no, no one seems to see this or understand this. Right. Yeah. And so do you have any last thoughts on why in particular, like this rites of passage and, and the the importance of it across the across the board? Well, yeah, I mean, rites of passage are, uh, you know, a way of providing a young man with adversity. Right. And it really, I think a lot of cultures had a rite of passage that was the transition from your uh, childhood to manhood. And that is, I think, exactly what adversity is. It, it's mm. what makes a man it is the, the ability to confront adversity, deal, you know, and, and just face it. Like you don't even have to face it su successfully. Uh, in fact, it's a lot of the time, to be maybe able even to most fail. of the time, you'll fail 
when you're confronted by adversity, but it's the ability to pick yourself up, learn from it and get better. And, mm -hmm. and not having that adversity, insulating us from that adversity is, is really destroying men. It's destroying our manhood. It's destroying our sense of meaning and purpose in life. And it's literally killing us. Um, you know, th this is why I believe men are killing themselves. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, I'm trying to think of a way to, I would love to create a project where men have to deal with some adversity where, you know, because you, you can design it into your life, right? The, the Stoics yeah. did it all the time. Like the Stoics were, were wealthy Greeks who in ancient Greece, who were like in the upper class of society, they were aristocrats, but they would practice things like sleeping on the ground for uh, a week at a time to remind themselves that they can deal with adversity and still flourish and they, they could be impoverished and still come still mm. survive and and thrive right and so so they would design into their life adversity even though they never had to deal with it if they didn't want to they they designed it into you their life they, to, they did yeah. something hard so find something hard to do find something where you know like there's a good chance you're going to fail at it and do it and try it and, and face it. And when you fail, if you fail, pick yourself up, try it again or try something else. You'll become better for it. So, Cool. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. Thanks, David.